The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lep- lep- lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Mary Linda. All right, well, I do hope you all had a good Thanksgiving weekend as it, as it comes to an end. Um, had time to reflect on the blessings in your life, and, and uh, holidays are complicated, uh, and I know that, um, and we experience them in different ways, and uh, the older I get, the more I think, I don't know that anybody has a true uh, Hallmark Christmas or a true... Um, just, you know, everything is just perfect uh, during the holidays. And I think that part of that is, um, it's important for us, I think, because, because holidays are, you know, the word derives from holy day, right? That it's, that it's a day that we, that we use to mark something significant and important. And any time that people who live in a broken world uh, and are broken themselves try to mark something holy and significant, part of what we're marking is that there is unmet need. There's unmet need in us. There's unmet need around us. And so we mark these days to try to remember that it will not always be this way. It will not always be broken. Uh, That there will come a time when there will be a healing, when there will be a restoration. And today we're going to talk about um, a relationship between uh, mercy and gratitude. So there's a little bit of a Thanksgiving theme here. Um, but what I really want us to think about is I want us to think about the relationship between mercy and gratitude, how these two things come together. Because these are two concepts that we'll often treat very individually, very separately. You know, we'll say things like, have mercy. Um, or we'll say, you need to be thankful, <laughs> you know, or I need to be thankful, um, show some gratitude. But really, mercy and gratitude are two things that come together, and they speak to a shared condition, and that shared condition is they speak to need. We all have need, and we require things, and we require things that we can't give ourselves, things like forgiveness, companionship, Wisdom, insight, healing. So mercy and gratitude, they, 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 what joins them together is need. Need. We have a family here in our church, uh, David and Amanda Williams, um, and they recently adopted a son from China, a little boy named Toby. And uh, they've been here with us uh, once, and the reason they haven't been with us other Sundays is because uh, of Toby. Uh, Toby was born with a uh, heart condition that required a pretty major 
open heart surgery that he had uh, just a little bit ago. And uh, so Toby is now in, in the hospital, um, and he is on this long road of recovery that awaits for him. And I visited this family. I love this family. They're good friends of ours. And I visited them in the family a couple of times over the past couple of weeks. And whenever I see Toby in his hospital bed, making this slow recovery, a sense of mercy and a sense of gratitude collide in me over his need. Um, And I pray about both. I pray a prayer of gratitude for Toby, and I pray prayers of mercy for Toby. And I ask that you would too, as you think about this family, because he's got a bit to go yet uh, before he's recovered, before he's, he's, he's able to leave the hospital. Um, but when I pray, I pray for mercy, I pray for mercy for Toby because that's what I know how to do. Um, I appeal to Toby's maker on his behalf, and I ask for mercy for this boy. I pray for his well-being because I can't do anything for Toby other than pray for mercy for him, right? I can't heal him. And the, the reality is, is neither can his doctors or his nurses or his specialists, really. They can do things that they know to do for people in his situation, but, but, but they can't fix him. The Lord has to do that. And so, and so I pray for mercy for Toby because I know the one who made Toby. I know the one who numbered Toby's days. And so I ask him for mercy as this boy goes through having his brave little heart repaired and restored. And I, I, I pray for, for mercy for Toby. And when I do this, I feel a deep sense of gratitude for him as well because Toby has helped me. He's helped me to see the kindness of God. Uh, his, his story, uh, even though he's only four years old, his story is a story of incredible defiance against the darkness Toby knows me because he knows that we have, a, we have the same scar down the middle of our chests, right? So I had open heart surgery. Um, he's had open heart surgery. He's seen my scar, and he knows that he and I are in something together. And, uh, but this boy, he's, he's brought so much joy to so many people. He's modeled so much courage. He's drawn so much goodness from his fellow human beings. And I just, I thank God for that kid. I thank God for that kid. Mercy and gratitude. These things are joined by our need, right? By our need. And there's something that we need that we cannot give ourselves, and so we appeal to God for mercy. And there's one who can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, and so we thank him for that. We thank him that the thing that we need, he can do. Right, so you see it. There's this, there's this appeal for mercy and a response of gratitude. These things go together. Well, today's passage is the passage that's all about the relationship between the need for mercy and the response of gratitude. It's perhaps a familiar passage. Um, it's kind of a go-to passage when you want to talk about gratitude or Thanksgiving. I mean, churches around the country are preaching, either did last week or are this week, using this text to preach on Thanksgiving and gratitude because it's what it's about in a lot of ways, right? There's 10 lepers, they cry out for healing, and they're all cleansed. And one of them then returns to express his thanks. And though the other nine were, were cured from their disease, the one who came back received something different. He received an interaction with Christ where Christ told him, your faith has made you well. Um, and that Greek word for made you well 
is also the word for your faith has saved you. Um, and what, he, what he, Jesus is saying to him is, is this interaction we're having is an interaction of genuine faith. You have genuine faith in me and that has healed you beyond just your leprosy. So that's the passage. You know, you could just say, are you gonna be one of the, are you gonna be the one who comes back and thanks God or are you gonna be the nine who don't, right? And we could just close it there and say, all right, everybody have a good weekend. Um, but no, we want to go deeper into this passage because there's something really profound that's happening here. A couple things I want to note just in terms of background and context is this. First, you notice in the text that Jesus is passing between Galilee and Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the last journey to Jerusalem that Jesus will make. Um, when he gets to Jerusalem during that stay, he will be arrested and crucified. So this is kind of toward the end of his earthly ministry. Another curious little detail that you saw here is Jesus tells the lepers to go show themselves to the priest. We should ask the question, why does he tell them to do that? Is that an odd thing? No, they would have known exactly what he was saying. Because here's the thing, is the leper appearing before the priest was the official means by which a person could be formally declared clean. It wasn't just that you had to get better, you had to be declared better. Right, because leprosy was no joke. It was it was dangerous, and so what you see there's a little foreshadowing of the gospel here in this situation. Because what's happening is the leper can't declare himself clean. He has to go to a priest, and the priest has to do that for him. Another little foreshadowing of the gospel is the lepers. The lepers. It's hard not to put a D in that word and say leopards, um, but that's not it. It's lepers. Uh, the lepers obey, and as they're in the process of obeying, they're healed. And I love this little detail because it reminds us, Jesus, when, when they say, have mercy on us, Jesus doesn't touch them. He doesn't pray a special prayer over them. He just tells them, go show yourself to the priests. And in the act of obeying Jesus, they're cleansed. And I love this because we know that God can do whatever he wants at any point at any time, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have to, he could have just said, be clean and you'd be clean, right? He says, Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus can speak these things into existence. But what's happening here is Jesus is saying to these lepers, cooperate with me in this process, I want you to cooperate with me in this process. And that, I believe, was for the edification of the lepers and their faith, but man, also for us, right? That God is saying, if you want something, if you're asking for mercy, and part of my response is then cooperate with me in this task I want you to do, then do it. And they're cleansed on the way. In fact, one of the things that's cool about the passage is on their way to the priest, they recognize that they have been cleansed. And so they're going to show up in front of the priests and say, what do you think, right? It's then, before they get to the priest, that the leper turns around to thank Jesus. He hasn't even gone and, and received uh, the clearance yet. He just, he turns around and he goes back to thank Jesus before going to the priests. Because here's another picture of the gospel in this passage. The priest could declare them clean, but it was Jesus who actually did the healing. There's an entire sermon hidden in that statement someplace. The, the priest could declare them clean, but it's Christ who did the healing. That's background and context that I wanted us to have as we move into this uh, story and begin to unpack it. 
Notice the lepers don't ask for healing. What do they ask for? They ask for mercy. Have mercy on us. Why? Well, because they had more than a sunburn. They had more than a nagging rash. They had an affliction that shaped their entire lives. And this is where we can all connect to this passage. Suffering's wide reach. Everybody suffers. In this world, you will have trouble, right? And so I want us to look at the leper who returned because they ask for mercy, and that's exactly what Jesus gives them. And the leper who returns, there's something about his life that should have been the case for all of them that gives us a peek into why he returned and responded the way that he did. And I think it's a place where we can connect. The first thing we need to, we need to get into him is, is to notice that this leper was a Samaritan. And we've talked about Samaritans here before, but Samaritans, who they were, is they were the descendants of Israelites who, when Israel was carried off into captivity, um, these are the ones who intermarried with their captors. And so then when they came back after the exiles... They came back having intermarried with, with Gentiles, and this was very offensive uh, to many full-blooded, if you will, Israelites. Um, because, in fact, it was more offensive to be a half a Gentile than it was to be a full Gentile. Because if you're a full Gentile, there's nothing you can do about that. But if you're half a Gentile, what that means is that someone somewhere along the way made a decision. And the decision was, in the eyes of many in Israel, to defile the bloodline of Abraham. And so the Samaritans had a hard time, and you see that in the Gospels, that they're, they're living right in the middle of the people of God. They're descended from Abraham, and yet they are regarded as outsiders and offensive to the people of Israel. So this, this leper that came back, he was a Samaritan. And it's important to note that because... because had he been perfectly healthy and just been an observer of what was happening, he would have had good cultural reason to expect somebody in Jesus' position, a rabbi, to reject an appeal for mercy from a Samaritan. You know? There just wasn't a lot of mercy going two ways there. So he was a Samaritan. Um, the other thing that we should notice is that he had a disease. He had the disease of leprosy. And we say, that's obvious. Yeah, but okay. This guy suffered. He was suffering. Lepers were people who were visibly afflicted in some way. You could look at them and you could see the traces of their suffering. And it's important to notice because in a room this size, many of us suffer. Many of us suffer from things and we feel the the struggle and the sorrow of affliction, and we carry it with us. And so this guy, when he's asking Jesus for mercy, he's doing it as somebody who suffers every day. That's his life. And many of us know what this is like, that something temporary or something permanent reveals to the watching world that we've suffered or that we're suffering. And the fact that they suffered, that alone is reason enough for their neighbors to have compassion on them. I mean, it's reason enough, right, for us to have compassion on our neighbors and friends who suffer. People who are afflicted and who are suffering can sometimes um, require a lot from, from friendship, 
And, and there are times when I think we can, we can say, I, I don't, <laughs> just you wear me out. And yet at the same time, what's happening here is a person in that position is saying to Jesus, have mercy on me. So think about the person that you know who is best known for their problem. That's who this is. It's a person who's best known for their problem. And it's not always in a, like a physical affliction or a sickness, right? Sometimes the problem is, um, I ruined my marriage. I just ruined my marriage and I lost it. And that is my affliction. When you see me, you see that I have, um, you see me kind of as a relational amputee. That I've, that I've lost these, these people that I was supposed to care for through, through sin, right? And, and there are people like that, right? We're, we're, they need mercy. They need compassion. They're clearly suffering and afflicted. And it's complicated, right? But, but that happens. So this person had the disease of leprosy. So he's a Samaritan. He's afflicted. The other thing that complicates it is that leprosy was contagious, so it wasn't as simple as, I see that you're afflicted, but let me come give you a hug. It just didn't happen, right? It didn't happen because lep- lepers were, were socially quarantined because their affliction was very contagious. And so they were cast out of society for the good of society. Can you imagine living that way? I'm cast out of society for the good of everybody else. That's why these 10 lepers, in fact, stood at a distance. This isn't random that they're at a distance. Leviticus 13 talks about what lepers are supposed to do. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to stand at a distance and they're supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. And the reason they're supposed to do that is so that they don't get anybody else sick with what they have. They were not to touch another person. They were to announce their presence when they came into the presence of other people. Their affliction separated them from community and it required those who loved them to kind of pivot away from them a little bit. And so that's the condition he's in. Imagine the isolation of not being allowed to experience human touch in any form anymore as long as you have this affliction And then add to it, the lepers didn't ask for this. It happened to them. So he's a Samaritan, he's suffering with an affliction, and it's a contagious affliction that makes him cut off from other people. Except he's not cut off from everybody, which is the last thing I want us to see about him, is that he was part of a leper colony. There are 10 of them, right? There are 10 of these people together. He was with 10 people. And we shouldn't be naive here. You know, if we look at this through the lens of kind of a flannel graph or or a children's book, it's 10 smiling lepers standing on this page and everybody else standing on this page. That is not the world we live in now. That's not the world that they lived in then. Leper colonies were populated with outcasts. And as such, they were part of a much larger network of people who lived on the fringe of society, and it was not a good thing. It never has been. You'll notice in in the Gospels that Jesus occasionally dines with people that are referred to as tax collectors and sinners. You've heard that term, right? Tax collectors and sinners. That's a euphemism. It literally means tax collectors and people who commit sin, but it's, it's more than that. It's a euphemism for societal outcasts. The worst of the worst 
tax collectors and sinners is, is, like, an, is like, a, like a pejorative term. And they're those that the religious leaders saw as the scourge of the earth. It was a rough world. If you think about it, it's an underworld that they're a part of. So if it helps you to think of underworlds that you see like in Batman films, if that helps you picture an underworld, or maybe uh, neighborhoods that are overrun by drugs, or you think of an underworld of, of like organized crime, think of a, of a, of a, of a, a cross-section of, of society that is uh, cut off beyond the reach and beyond the protection of the law. That's where the lepers lived. In those days, communities of outcasts included, here's some of the people it included, tax collectors, prostitutes, fugitives, runaway slaves, drunks, the mentally impaired, the demon-possessed, people with palsies, people with epilepsies, people with neurological disorders that, that manifested themselves with outbursts, um, and lepers. These were all people who kind of had to live separate. And it was a hard life. And the leper did nothing to deserve their station, but they were helpless in that station. So now when you take all those things together, Samaritan, afflicted, contagious, part of this shadowy underbelly of society that he has to live in, it makes sense now, doesn't it, that the plea is not just for healing, but it's have mercy on me. Because this is hard. My life is hard. It's not just that I have a sickness. It's that everything about it is hard. And so when the lepers discover that they've been healed, this one turns around immediately and goes to Jesus to tell him, you did more for me than what's just on the surface. A lot of times we look at this passage and Engage with me here. Put yourself in this passage because most of us are not the one who goes back and thanks Jesus, right? Most of us are, are not. It would be real easy for us to be, have a dichotomous view of this passage that there's two responses. There's the leper who returns and give thanks and there's the nine who don't. But what I, sub, I would submit to you that there were probably 10 responses to Jesus, and the one that we hear about is the one who comes back and thanks Jesus. But each one of them had to have reacted in their own way. And so let me throw out a few options. Possible responses, possible reactions. And these I've listed because they're in me. Okay. Some of them might have responded with just kind of a fist pump and a satisfied sense that they finally at last got what they deserved. That's what I'm talking about, right? Maybe some of them were cleansed and they really kind of saw it as too little too late and really didn't want to thank the God who afflicted them in the first place. Thanks for nothing. You did this to me. Maybe some of them just kind of thoughtlessly moved on and are like so many of us, myself included, who just just don't like to thank people, right? It's like the kid who gets the birthday gift or the Christmas gift and the parent says you have to sit down and you have to write a note 
to your grandparent and thank them for what they gave you? I mean, how many of us have been in this situation? And we're looking at the piece of paper and we're thinking, I don't like this and I don't really want to do this and I'm being forced to write this thank you note. The whole time you're looking like a cat being given a bath, right? You just, I, I just don't thank people. Do we thank Jesus for his mercy in all of its forms? To what extent do we understand the gift he has given? When I say, Jesus, help me, do I see all that I need help for? Because Jesus does. When they say, have mercy on us, Perhaps for some of them, they're thinking, what I mean by that is cleanse me of my leprosy so that I can go and present myself to the priest and be cleansed and get on with life. To what extent do we understand the gift that Christ has given us, this mercy? Because we can put ourselves in their position, right? We all suffer. We all have hidden heartbreaks. We all have sorrows. We all have afflictions that we're doing our best to navigate in this life. Some of them are physical. Some of them are spiritual. Some of them are mental. Some of them are emotional. But they're there and we suffer from them. All of us. And our suffering, like the lepers, can be isolating, right? Our heartache, our depression, our mental challenges, our physical afflictions, they may not be contagious like a cold, but they can sometimes seem to touch our relationships in ways that just drive us apart from each other. Because that's what affliction is like. The afflicted and the well, there's only so close that they can get to each other when it comes to that. And if you've suffered, if you've ever been chronically ill, you know that experience where there's just this kind of distance between the afflicted and the well. And, it's, 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 and, and, and the person who is not afflicted can only enter in so much into the suffering that you're experiencing. And it's like there's this fence around your affliction. And there are people who are standing at the fence who want to be close to you and you're inside the fence and sometimes the best we can do is just meet each other at the fence and talk there. Because when you withdraw into the pain that is yours, that is hard to explain and hard to share, it's a very lonesome place. And when the person who is well and is loving you and is caring for you wants to go there, they, they just don't, they don't have the context or the information or, or, or the, the, the synapses firing in the way that you do to know what it is that you're feeling. And so we can feel the separation. We can only come so far and then no further. And what happens then is sometimes the person who is well will withdraw from the one who is afflicted from a sense of helplessness. And it's tragic when that happens. And many of us know exactly what that feels like. So our suffering can be isolating. And then in our pain, we can be then drawn to others who suffer too. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It, it can often be an essential part of dealing with affliction, an important part of dealing with affliction, drawing on the support of others who know similar suffering. That can be very important. Usually is, right? to be with other people who know the same affliction that you have. And it can feel terribly hopeless, though, when the only people we can associate with are those who suffer as we do. And we begin to say, you don't understand me, and so there's nothing for us to connect on. And so we can end up using our suffering, ironically, to draw lines concerning who is worthy to be in our company. And that can be just as tragic 
as when the well reject the afflicted, when the afflicted reject the well. So we need mercy. We need mercy because it's hard to navigate that. It's hard to live in this world, is another way to say that. There's so much brokenness, but there's mercy. There's mercy too. Mercy that comes from God's hand. This kindness for the undeserving. This healing for the afflicted. That's community for the isolated. That's welcome for the outcasts. It's the call of the church to be this in the world. God, have mercy on us as we aspire to be that for people. But the call to gratitude is a call to consider the mercy that we have been shown, the mercy that we've been given because we have been given mercy. So a couple of points of application as we, as we wrap up, just that are kind of direct from the passage. Uh, the first is, is, where in your life do you need mercy? Ask for it. Ask for it. Sometimes standing at a distance and asking Jesus for mercy is asking his people for mercy too. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes just letting people know, I need help. Can you help? So where in your life do you need mercy? You can ask for it. God tells us, Jesus tells us that our Father, if we ask for a fish, won't give us a snake, right? Where in your life, another question, where in your life do you need to circle back to thank God for meeting a need, you know? Does today's text help you see the complexity of a place where in your life you say, actually, my response to this should be gratitude to the Lord. He's been faithful to me. He's shown me mercy in something that was complicated. Does this passage help deepen a sense of gratitude, deepen a sense of the complexity of the need that you've been asking for mercy? And then in the category of of following and imitating Jesus, um, where might you need to extend mercy to somebody else who has been asking you for it? Maybe, maybe this is somebody who has been asking for a while. And you just, because of the way that they've caused you to suffer, you're just not interested at all. And mercy doesn't always mean complete restoration. It doesn't always mean we're going to be each other's best friends from here on out. But it means I'm not going to hold you captive in my heart as somebody who is unpardonable by me, even though I theologically know you're not unpardonable by the Lord. Will you show mercy? We're no different, really, than the lepers in this passage. Our need runs deep. We live in a hard world. We all struggle to live well in this world. We all know the peril and the sorrow of broken and lost relationships. We all know what it feels like to be lonely, to be isolated. We all know what it looks like to be consumed with just getting by, that we forget to thank those who have helped us, including God himself. We know that. But this is the essence of gratitude. The essence of gratitude is knowing well the mercy we've been shown and responding with deep, sincere clear-eyed thanks to the Lord. Mercy and gratitude, they speak to this shared condition, right? Need. Where's that happening in your life? Where does that need to happen in your life? The gospel is the true story. 
of how our deepest needs are met in Christ. And the only response that makes any sense to that is gratitude. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that the... uh, I thank you for the simplicity of this passage, how there's, we're given a little bit of information, but not a lot. We're really not given much about what the other nine went through, which gives us the freedom then to explore how do humans respond uh, to mercy being extended, but then having no sense of gratitude in response. Lord, would you help us to see the depth of our need as we consider this one who returned and gave thanks, who was, who was a Samaritan, who was afflicted, who was contagious, who was isolated in a, in a colony that was a hard place to live uh, with no protection and great vulnerability. The mercy of being restored, of being protected. And Lord, would you show us the places in our own lives where we're, we're just resisting gratitude, resisting that response. And would you break that in us? And would you break it by showing us the mercy we've been given? Give us eyes to see it, Lord. We're thankful thankful for your care and for your love for your people. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.